Welcome to the Simple Self-Care Podcast, your weekly nudge to take good care. I'm your host, Randy Kay. Today, I am so thrilled to bring you a conversation I had with Courtney Carver from BeMoreWithLess.com. So I know I fangirl over all of my guests that I have on, but this one, well, you can even hear the nervous excitement in my voice in the beginning of the interview, but yes, I'm a big fan of Courtney. And I've been a big fan since back in 2013-ish. I was introduced to the concept through her um, of a capsule wardrobe through Courtney's Project 333 Challenge. And at that time, I had just moved back to Fargo, and I was basically starting my life over. And I was starting to see the value of this whole less is more movement. Simplifying your life can be an overwhelming undertaking, but simplifying my wardrobe, well, that sounded doable. So I started there, thanks to Courtney, and it kickstarted my journey of intentional living ever since. This past summer, I finally got the chance to meet up with Courtney in Salt Lake City, where she lives and where I used to live, go figure. And now I'm just so happy to have her on the podcast. I have so much love and respect for who she is and what she has to offer, her own healing journey, and I know you'll get a lot out of the conversation. We do talk about capsule wardrobes and simplifying, but we also get into some juicier topics of how to be your own health advocate cultivating inner trust, what to do after devastating news, debt-free living, and more. But a quick aside before we get into it, I'm partnering with Courtney to promote her incredible year-long program, A Simple Year. For the entire year of 2019, you will get simplifying guidance from the best of the best. Each month has a theme and a special expert guest. For example, some of my minimalist buds are on the docket, Becca Shearn from Minimal Wellness, who also has been on the podcast, will be helping you with all things self-care for the month of August. Joshua and Ryan from The Minimalists will be with you for November, talking about gift giving, and the charming Colin Wright will be with you for May, talking about travel. Other cool guests will be covering topics like money and food and nature, and it's going to be such an amazing way for you to embark on your own simplifying journey. And I really wish I had something like this when I was first starting out. And it's the last year Courtney will be hosting this. So you want to get in on it. Early bird registration is now open. And if you sign up through me, you'll get some special bonuses, including one-on-one self-care mentoring with me to help guide you along the course. So stay tuned at the end of the episode where I chat with Courtney more about it and where you can learn more and sign up. Okay, that was a lot. But there's a lot to share. But now, without further ado, Courtney Carver. We join the conversation chatting about Project 333. I love it because it is a really easy and powerful way to kind of sample minimalism. So I started this fashion challenge, Project 333, in 2010 as really a personal experiment to figure out what I wanted and needed in my closet. It was the one area of my life that I hadn't simplified because I didn't want to. I wanted to continue shopping and 
trying to make my clothes make me feel good. But I knew something had to change. And, and so I created this challenge where for three months, I would dress with 33 items or less, including clothing, shoes, jewelry, and accessories, and not include things like underwear, loungewear, and sleepwear, and also workout clothes. I didn't count towards the challenge as long as my workout clothes were working out. And when I announced it on my site, um, people really resonated with the challenge and took it on for themselves. And over the last eight years, it has just grown and grown where people are participating from all over the world, um, creating modified rules, you know, doing what they need to do to make the challenge really work for them. And it's, it's just been a great experience for me. Yeah, I, I really resonate what you said about it being kind of a, an easier way to start minimalism, because actually your finding you was what gave me the confidence to like, kind of start going down that path. So (laughs) I can attest to your statement for sure. Um, But yeah, I was introduced to you through our mutual friend, Joshua Fields Milburn from The Minimalists. And, you know, I love what they do, but it was, that was also a little too extreme for me at the time. And so Josh was like, you should check out my friend Courtney. And so I did, this was like 2013, I think, is that long ago. And I was like, yes, I love her. I will do this. And so I bought your guide or whatever you had at the time and really took it on. And it took me a long time. I wasn't ready to do the jewelry part. That was the one thing I was like, okay. I was like, I can't because I don't feel that attached to my clothing, but I was like an accessories person, I guess. And so I had scarves and bags and jewelry and I was like, we're just going to start with the clothes. And I started in the summertime because it was like more minimal. And that gave me so much satisfaction that I eventually tackled the the jewelry and accessories. And it's funny, like once I actually did that, I was like, oh, this wasn't that big of a deal. And I don't like having all this extra stuff around, but it was definitely like my gateway drug, so to speak, into simplifying my life. So that's interesting. I think a lot of people find that same thing that you did in, in saying, oh, that wasn't such a big deal after all. And in that the challenge is not that challenging, but thinking about the challenge can be very challenging because (laughs) you anticipate all of these things that might come up and rarely do they ever come up. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't realize I had such an emotional attachment to my jewelry that wasn't really very sound. Like I, I guess I always viewed jewelry as like how I could be fashionable because I never thought I was very like fashionable or stylish in in my clothing. So I was like, but no, this is what I do. This is what I have. And then I took all my earrings and necklaces and bracelets out on my bed. And it's, those are the things that you don't even, they can tuck away into small places. So it's hard to even see how much you have. And once I saw it all out in the open, I was like, oh no, this, no, (laughs) this has got to (laughs) end. That's great. Well, I'm glad it was helpful for you. And I know, uh, Josh and Ryan have a great challenge as well with the minimalism game. And -hmm. I think any of these challenges where there's a beginning and an end, it it gives you a little more freedom to jump in without thinking this is going to be something that I have to do for my entire life. 
and you can kind of learn about what you want and need in your life and then make a decision as to whether or not to continue from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was actually really resistant to do the minimalism game as well, because I'm like, I'm good at getting rid of stuff. I don't need this game or this challenge, but then, um, (laughs) Ryan's girlfriend, Mariah, um, I don't know how we got talking about it, but she was wanting to do it. And so we did it together and we sent each other pictures every day and stuff like that. And then I was like, oh, this is actually really great and really helpful and fun. And so I I guess I'm not a big challenge person, um, but whenever I do it, I'm like, oh, this is actually a great tool and can give structure to an overwhelming process. Sure. And it's amazing, even for those of us, including myself, who have simplified a lot over the years, things still turn up mm-hmm. when, you, when you are actively looking for them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think when I was getting down to the days where I had to get rid of like 20 things every day and then 21 things every day, I was like going into the pantry and <laughs> like, and then once my pantry was cleaned out, I didn't realize how much my pantry was stressing me out, you know? So it, it provides a, a little push that maybe you wouldn't have done otherwise, but yeah. So project 333 is still going strong. It um, is. Yeah. That's great. And I was reading your book, Soulful Simplicity, which I absolutely love. And it gives a lot of guidelines or like accessible ways to start simplifying your life, which I love. But you mentioned that Project 333 got a little bit of pushback from like Vogue or something. (laughs) I just don't understand (laughs) why. It did. And it, it sort of makes sense to me that, I mean, of course... Vogue magazine or bigger clothing brands wouldn't want someone out there telling people to buy fewer things. Mm. But when the challenge first came out and it was um, widely covered in the media, they interviewed, I think it was a, a marketing exec from Vogue who called the project uh, severe and not for most people. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was a little bit funny because. It's not severe or extreme once you get started, but there are so many things in the fashion industry that are severe and extreme (laughs) that we kind of overlook, uh, especially in a publication like Vogue magazine. Right. Well, you know what you did, Courtney, is that now I'm getting marketed to four capsule wardrobes, like (laughs) companies and like bigger brand companies are like, this is, here's your capsule wardrobe for fall. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, thanks, but <laughs> like, it's I really think, interesting. Yeah. People are coming around and I think that, I think that it's great. It's becoming more hip, I guess, to simplify, but you were the first person I know that was talking about it in that specific way. So kudos. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> to you. One thing I did that stuck out to me in your book was you have a whole section about doing what you don't want to do. So along the lines of, you know, me not wanting to get rid of jewelry, but then eventually it was like the best thing at that time. Could you talk more about that? Because I think we come up against resistance and then we use that resistance to block us. Yes. So I think the chapter you're talking about is you have to do things you don't want to do so you can do the things you want to do. Yes. And I really put that 
I, I could put it around anything, but for me, it really started with uh, diet and working out. Uh, I really wanted to, well, I didn't want to change my diet, but I knew I had to. And I think I refer to a few instances like for breakfast. I didn't really want to have a smoothie for breakfast or a healthy breakfast. What I wanted was bacon and eggs and a Bloody Mary. <laughs> but knowing that I wanted to get my health back, I knew I had to make some changes. And so I had to do some things that I didn't want to do. And what was interesting about all of them is anything I thought I didn't want to do, once I started to do it, I enjoyed it. And so mm. other than things like going to my accountant, who is lovely, or my dentist, who I also like, but those tasks are probably never going to be things on the top of my, I want to do this list. Uh, but the other stuff, it's kind of like exercising, you know, no, I didn't want to get up early and exercise. But once I was moving for five or 10 minutes, I found that I was really enjoying what I was doing. Or once I started eating healthier food and started feeling better, I realized that, yes, I do enjoy this. This is giving me energy and focus and my health back. Uh, and it tastes way better than all of those times I said it doesn't taste very good. Mm -hmm. And so I think we just, we have to lead in and we, we, we can't wait for inspiration to strike or for uh, to be in the right mood to do these things like exercise, eat right. Um, it, even when it comes to making things and creating and writing, you know, we can't always wait until we feel like it. If it's something that we really want to do, that might mean doing things you don't want to do to get the ideas flowing. Um, so yeah, I think it, it, it spreads across all topics. Mm -hmm. So do you have any, I don't know if there even is advice because a lot of it is so personal, but when you, at that exact moment, you know, your alarm goes off and you, you know, told yourself you'd get up and exercise, like what powers you through that wall of not wanting to? I mean, in the beginning, sometimes I had to trick myself and play the games like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to do it for five minutes. And if it's awful, then I'll stop and go back to bed. But of course, once I had gotten up and gotten dressed and got out the door, there was no turning around, but it was just letting myself know that I had that option. You know, if, if I got there and I was working out and I didn't want to work out, I could change my mind. Uh, and for the, the food, I think based on the research that I did, I really understood how powerful food can be in our lives. And so I was very curious and willing to make some changes. So at that point, I think you just have to really understand what you want from it, knowing that it may not be that meal that you want, but you want better health or you want better sleep. Identify what it is that you want from this thing that you don't want to do and just keep reminding yourself why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. And a little bit of backstory and you you really describe it well in your book but your journey with uh, multiple sclerosis so that was kind of the vehicle for you to start making these changes correct it was it was and it wasn't that I hadn't considered living more simply before that 
but I never took the time. I was too busy, too mm. overwhelmed, couldn't be bothered to really take a good look at, at how damaging and stressful the life I was living and had created was. But once I was diagnosed with MS, I had to step back and really assess and decide what path I was going to take because I knew if I continued to treat myself the way I had been treating myself and if I had continued to move at that unsustainable pace, that my health would have declined pretty rapidly, uh, according to my research and to my neurologist who, after, you know, doing an exam with me and reviewing MRIs. I mean, he said, you're standing on the edge of a cliff and how you move forward is up to you. But basically he was saying, you know, if, if the, this lifestyle continues and you don't address this, you're going to fall off the cliff. And he was referring to, you know, more symptoms, more decline, and I didn't want to go in that direction. I wanted to at first get my health back. And once that happened, I wanted to get my life back. So say there's a listener out there who did just face a very big life shift, whether, um, you know, the loss of a loved one or they got diagnosed with something and they're feeling that same craving. Like what was your, or like, or not craving, I guess, but that, um, feeling to, to pick themselves back up, what would you suggest would be the steps? Like, how do you even start um, moving towards health or moving towards healing with something so life altering? I think first and foremost, you have to take a minute, you know, take a break and let things sink in. Because before I got to this you know, I always speed past the the real painful part and get to the, I took action and I became my own advocate and I changed my life. But there is a period of time where you're really sad and you're really scared and you don't know what to do. And that compounds everything because for a lot of us, if we can't take action or we don't know what to do, we get even more scared about what's happening. And in the very beginning, I didn't, know what action to take or what I was facing. And I was very scared and very sad at the potential loss uh, because I didn't know what to anticipate, you know, only what other things that I had read about MS and the symptoms that might happen, uh, the, the way my future might unfold. So if you're in that place, whether it be, you know, like you said, from a, a loss or from a diagnosis or whatever it is, take a minute and just let yourself feel all the feelings. So be sad, be scared, um, breathe a lot, take lots of walks, um, be open to advice, but just let everybody know you're taking a minute and you might not be ready for it right now because that's the first thing that our closest people want to do is fix us and help us, which is fantastic, except when you're going through it, you can't possibly absorb all of that information. And the most powerful changes that you're going to make, you're going to discover on your own, through your own research, through the, your own questions, um, through your own observations. So it's really important 
you know, once you move through or start to move through the grief, fear, sadness, whatever it is, that then you do become your own advocate and you do start asking questions of yourself and of others. Um, but then you make the decisions in terms of what's best for you. That would be my best advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. You talk about lingering. Like, is that kind of taking time to, to linger in like this circumstance? I wasn't really thinking about it for that. I mean, that came much later for me when I started to look at the things in my life that were kind of taking over things like busyness. You know, I would rush through, I was always like trying to get through things to get to the next thing, whether it be my to-do list or the calendar or an, an appointment or a book or whatever it was, I was just ready to move on because, you know, we have to accomplish all the things, so we better get moving. And I found it really interesting that it took me much more time to cook dinner than to enjoy my dinner. Mm -hmm. or to clean up dinner than to enjoy my dinner. And so this concept of lingering is really to recapture some of the beauty of life. You know, why can't we spend a little more time enjoying our meal or a conversation or a view that we enjoy? Uh, why can't we linger in those moments a little bit longer instead of rushing through to the next thing? Why do you think it's so challenging? Like, why has that style has kind of gone out the window these days. I think it's just because we're doers and the the faster pace life gets with, I mean, the internet has certainly sped everything up for us. Uh, we can accomplish so much more with our phones and digital technology. And there's so much more that is ex expected of us, whether we put those expectations on ourselves or we're getting it from our friends because they have those expectations for themselves. Uh, it's it's like a contest to see who can have the most check marks on their list every day. Mm -hmm. And we're missing out as a result. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I It's a weird, I'm kind of at a loss for words right now about it because it seems like such an important thing to understand about how dangerous being busy is and uh, and yet it's not really catching on like it's kind of catching on I think uh, more people are talking about it and encouraging it but it's one thing to like think about it and think it's a good idea and then it's another thing to actually implement not being so busy into our lives you know yeah it's a challenge for sure and something that I think we have to pay attention to every day. It's not a, a set it and forget it thing because even when you know that the lingering is worthwhile and slowing down is worthwhile and that if you do fewer things, you can do them better than trying to do everything. It's still like just part of society and you can get caught up in it without even knowing it. So you have to every day make that commitment to enjoy something, to find a little delight, to say no when you can and let go of some things. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many of us are, are pros at moving our, you know, we, we make a big to-do list, 
we never get through it. And so we just rewrite the to-do list for the next day with the same things on it mm-hmm. over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they didn't get done on those first three days, maybe they don't even ever have to get done. That is a good point. <laughs> Do you have any advice for kind of shifting how you go about getting things accomplished? It has to be probably for most people a gradual process because you're already perhaps overcommitted. Uh, so it, I think it really just starts with learning how to be comfortable saying no. And the only way to get comfortable with that is by practicing. And you can be even more comfortable with it by kind of going back to that doing things you don't want to do so you can do the things you want to do by thinking about how you really want to spend your time. Like ask yourself that question every morning, even if you know your day is, is going to look like the complete opposite. Just ask yourself, how do I really want to spend my time? I mean, I had never paused long enough to ask myself that question when I was in the throes of my busy addiction. Um, But when I finally started asking that, I was like, yeah, how do I want to spend my time? And I didn't know at first, but I knew it wasn't by running in circles and being completely burnt out at the end of the day and not really remembering even what I had accomplished. Because mm-hmm. there's a difference between, you know, doing, let's say, work and doing busy work. You know, we can keep ourselves busy working all day long and never make an impact um, in our own work or in the lives of people around us or anywhere. Uh, just result in, you know, again, feeling like you're kind of running in circles. So by pausing and slowing down, I think in many cases we get sometimes more done, even though it might look like less. How do you feel the emotion of guilt comes into play when it comes with busyness? Because that's a lot of what I hear from people is like, well, it, and they don't necessarily use the word guilt, but some people do. And it's like, well, I, I feel bad if I'm not doing this for this person, or I promised I would show up for this and da, 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 da. And it becomes less about what they want to be doing and more of like some obligation, or even they feel guilt towards themselves. Like they feel guilty when they don't go to the gym and it's just a relationship with themselves. So do you have some advice on, on working through that tough yeah, why do, emotion? Why do we put ourselves through all of that guilt <laughs> and shame? It's so ridiculous. And I don't say that in, like, I've done it. So I know how crazy it is that we do this to ourselves over and over again. Um, But it's all, it's all going to resolve itself over time. If you are, as I suggested earlier, taking a minute to really notice what's going on. Uh, Because again, I used to do the same thing and it was because I forgot what was really important or how I really wanted to spend my time. And I remember it was uh, a car ride with my daughter when she was much younger that really got me to pay attention to my busyness. And we were um, driving home. I was driving her home from school. I want to say she was in the fourth grade or fifth grade. And I remember being pretty proud of myself because I had carved out some time every day to take her home from school, thinking that I was really showing up for her. And meanwhile, I'm screaming down the freeway. She's telling me about her day and I'm on my phone 
working and driving. <laughs> and we got home and I couldn't remember anything she had told me. So not only had I risked our lives being as distracted as I was, but I had missed this opportunity to connect with the one person that means everything to me. Mm. And it was in that moment that I said, this is it, like no more phone in the car, which today sounds maybe a little ridiculous. Like, of course, you're not driving down the freeway with your phone on, I hope. Um, well, you'd this, be surprised. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. I do, problem. I do see a lot of people talking on their phone, but uh, this was many, many years ago for me. And it, it seemed like a big, really big decision. And I thought, you know, I'm probably going to disappoint clients and my employers are going to be mad that I'm not always on call and all this, st- all these fears mm-hmm. that I had, that guilt of who I would be letting down. But because I knew I was showing up for the right person, it, I didn't really care. And the funny thing is nobody noticed. My clients didn't notice. <laughs> my employer didn't notice. And my sales went up. Like it, it impacted nothing. I did not have to be so hyper available, um, so busy, so important. And finally, I started showing up for the people I love instead of the people I spent time with at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like taking that time to kind of zoom out and have a an overview of what's going on and realizing that those were your own expectations, probably, that you set and and feeling like that is the real the real expectation. I've done that a lot and something I continue to work through is when I am feeling overwhelmed, it's like, okay, is this something I put on myself or is this actually an emergency? You know, and most of the time everyone else is in their own little world anyway, that they're really not paying that much attention to, to those specific things. Yeah. And with the guilt, I mean, you have to ask yourself, is this guilt useful? Is it making me a better person? Am I changing in positive ways as a result? Usually not. Usually it just completely paralyzes us because we go down this deep hole of what terrible people we are. Um, when in fact, if we could just, you know, when we feel that guilt, perhaps write it down, put it on paper, see if it's really guilt or if it's something else. And again, if it is guilt, just ask yourself after you write, write down the situation, you know, how is this holding on to this serving me or what's something that I could do to move past this, but wallowing in the guilt uh, is certainly not helping anyone. Yeah. I, I tell the people that I work with um, to recognize it as um, yeah, something that maybe is getting miscommunicated as, as like something you, that would serve you or recognizing if it's old programming. Cause I do feel like it it's, somehow wired into our thinking process or it's emotion that we saw our parents do and our grandparents do. And it's kind of just like, I don't know, some of it is, is cultural and we have to recognize that that's what it is to really be able to let it go. Yeah, definitely. We, and, and I think the other thing is with all of these things that we're talking about, we have to recognize that we have a choice 
Mm-hmm. You know, we have a choice in how we're going to work through these emotions, how we're going to um, make changes in our life. And we had a choice in what we did 10 years ago and five years ago and two years ago. Uh, and not saying that to feel guilty about it, mm-hmm. but it gives you great power in knowing like, oh, if I chose that, I can choose something completely different now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So along those lines, you have a really uh, beautiful part in your book that talks about listening to your heart and how to tune into that heart space in particular. Um, can you talk more about how doing that can help kind of navigate some of these other emotions and things that come up? Yeah, I think it's really important to have a routine or a practice that helps you connect with yourself. And even if that's only for five minutes a day at first, uh, consistency will be more important than intensity. So instead of like powering through on the weekend and doing an hour each day of the weekend, I recommend just a few minutes every day of either sitting quietly, journaling, uh, and then either and or adding this heart practice that I recommend in the book, which has been really powerful for me. And it's very simple. It's just getting quiet and placing one hand on your heart and the other hand over that hand. So you're kind of holding your heart. You can feel it beating. And it all, almost just that action will slow you down and help you connect. And that's all I think you have to do to start. And then after you feel more comfortable with that and it's become a daily practice, then ask your heart some questions. Uh, Ask things that you're curious about, that you're struggling with. Uh, Maybe the guilt conversation comes up. But we forget how well we know ourselves And I think we also forget how to trust ourselves. So this action is saying to your heart, to yourself, I hear you. I trust you. Let's talk about it. Yeah, that inner trust is huge because I feel like if you don't have that foundation, it's hard to say no or take on a new practice or set some of those boundaries, you know, because it's... It's really, I met with a friend recently for lunch and we were talking about intuitive eating and some other things. And she said, it's all about self-trust over self-control. And I thought that was so powerful because we often think of, you know, oh, I have to have better self-control, but really what we need is better self-trust. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) That's a lot more empowering too. I know. And I feel like the word control feeds into the word guilt because there's guilt around lack of self-control, you know, and that trusting is more of like a, you can just relax into yourself, you know? Yes. I like that a lot. I'm going to use that one. Okay. Yeah, (laughs) me too. (laughs) Um, But I have been doing, um, I do a lot of practices to tune inward, but um, usually I place my hands on my abdomen because that's like another really important place to be tuning into, but I've been shifting it to my heart, um, like adding that in. And it's like 
an emotional experience. <laughs> I know. I'm going to cry talking about it. And it, it's so crazy because I wouldn't have thought that, but it really is like it can, it can bring tears to your eyes just mm-hmm. doing that. And I think also, like, I love that you put, um, like you said, your hands on your abdomen. I think you can do one on your abdomen and one on your heart as well. That's mm-hmm. a really nice kind of grounding. Mm-hmm. Like I'm listening to everything. Yeah. Uh, especially if you're laying down. I really like that. Yeah. I do most of my meditation laying down actually, because I like that feeling of being on the earth and sometimes sitting can, you know, trigger the pain. It's not always comfortable. So um, I'm always like just chilling on the ground (laughs) whenever I can. And uh, yeah, it is nice because you feel that weight of the breath also. um, And you can just kind of sink into it, which feels really good. But I definitely recommend um, anyone listening to just try that and and see what happens. And don't be alarmed if you start crying instantly. (laughs) It's good stuff. What other practices do you... Uh, enjoy to tune inward to calm some of the the chaos of the world my morning routine is probably the my most consistent practice which includes some of that heart work but it also includes um you know moving my body through walking or stretching out on my yoga mat writing some ideas down um, reading usually three or four activities and they change from season to season, depending how I'm feeling. Uh, but I love starting my day with me and not with my email or, you know, jumping into work, even though sometimes I'm tempted to do that. Every time I do my day does not go as smoothly. Uh, it's one of those mind games where you think if I start early on the work or whatever you're supposed to do, that you'll get more done or you'll get ahead or your day will be better. But it's just really fragmented for me where if I start my day um, kind of serving my body, heart and soul and mind first, then the day is less fragmented and moves more smoothly. And I'm more focused and clear on what I have to do mm-hmm. or what I want to do. I love seasonal practices. Talk about that a lot on the podcast. So speaking of which now we're moving into fall. Do you have some ships of practices that you do um, during this time of year? Not specifically. We're just uh, starting the seasons are just starting to change here in Salt Lake city where I live. So, and especially today I woke up and it was, 47 degrees and I feel Mm -hmm. like yesterday was a hundred and it wasn't but it felt (laughs) like yesterday was summer and today is now officially fall Mm. Uh, I probably do it's really important for me all year long but fall especially I'd love to get out and hike and be with the changing leaves and get my feet in the dirt it's it's just such a good time because the temperatures are cooler uh, and it's really pretty here. Uh, I miss it so much. <laughs> so I lived in Utah for a long time. So I love seeing your posts of the mountains because they remind me of my second home. But yeah. it's we're a little further ahead here in Fargo. So 
it's it's I had to pull out all my my sweaters and switch my wardrobe over. That's probably one of my favorite seasonal practices is um reestablishing my wardrobe. It's I didn't even think of that and I do that every season. So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, you know, talk about it all the time and have done it probably it's probably just a really normal rhythm for you these days. It is, but I do like removing the, for instance, like this weekend will be when I change everything over and I'll get rid of any summer clothes that I won't wear in the fall, not get rid of, but box them up and get them out of sight Mm -hmm. because I don't want to be sorting through my sundresses to figure out where my winter boots are. Uh, I I just want to see the clothes that I'm wearing for the next three months. Mm Mm-hmm. So have you found at this point of your life of doing this uh, capsule wardrobe for so long, is it pretty, um, I don't know, does it take much effort for you these days or is it pretty easy? It's pretty easy. Probably the first few years uh, were not hard, but I spent more time in figuring out what I really wanted and needed and what I was letting go of. Because after that first season, eight years ago, I kind of went back to all the stuff I had hidden for those three months and let go of some of it. But every season, I seem to feel more free to let go of more. And it takes as long as it takes. And I'm not suggesting anyone should do it any faster than a year or two or three years, however long it takes. Um, But the less I own, the easier it is to move from season to season and also to settle in without that fear of, you know, is this going to be enough? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Trusting that it is enough for sure. <laughs> that I will say with my own experience with it, um, I'm still, I still feel like a newbie with it, even though I've been doing it for a couple of years because I don't know, my tastes change and like it, it, my priorities evolve with what I want my wardrobe to be. So I've really been into more sustainable and ethical brands or thrifting more. Um, and that just takes more time and intention. So that's been like another layer that's been going into it that I haven't quite refined yet. But And for me too, that's something that I've been thinking more about. And I think the greatest thing we can do to sort of reduce our footprint is to consume less. But then there is that next level of, yes, you know, shopping secondhand or looking, as you mentioned, at these more ethical brands. And I was looking at uh, a site called ThreadUp. Oh, yeah. The other day. And I am familiar with it, but I hadn't really spent a lot of time. And I thought, well, maybe I'll look and see what, uh, you know, I'm replacing a couple of items and I'll see what I can find. And wow, it does take more time to go in that direction. <laughs> mm-hmm. but. Uh, certainly worthwhile. Yeah, I do. I have a little bit of experience with ThreadUp. I've definitely sent some of my clothes there, but Poshmark, I really enjoy. Um, It's a really easy to use app and you can sell some of your own clothing and then you get like a credit or you can have it go to your account. So what I've started to do is kind of use whatever I sell as like a gauge for how much I spend. from the site. So, and is it, is it secondhand as well? Yeah. So okay. some, some people 
sell new items that they happen to have, like maybe that they've been in their closet forever and they never ended up wearing tags on it. So you can search new with tags kind of a thing, but um, most of it is lightly used uh, stuff that people are just like, I'm done with this. Anybody want it? And then it's pretty discounted. So I've got quite a few items from Poshmark and I've sold quite a few items. So that's, I mean, it takes effort, but I, I think it's pretty slick. It's pretty easy to use. Great. I'm going to check that out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the other thing I like about being more intentional with where the clothes come from is that I don't spend as much and, or it really simplifies my options and that decreases some anxiety about shopping (laughs) because I don't really like shopping. Um, But I'm not even tempted by some of the bigger name brands when I'm out and about because it's like, well, I know what my values are around it. I'm just going to take my time with these other brands. So sure, that's the perk of it, I guess, <laughs> but it does take more time and investment, but I'm finding a few that are becoming kind of my go-to brands. So yeah. And I think you kind of settle into a bit of a personal style after doing this for a while, because when you're only wearing the same few items, you learn very quickly what you like and don't like on your body. And unless you're, and I should say when, because this happens for all of us, lifestyles change, bodies change, personal taste changes, you know, until those things happen, I'm pretty content keeping like my fall collection this year will look very much like last year and the year before that and the year before that. Uh, But there could be a time, I mean, if I lived in a different place or something else changed, then certainly I wouldn't have any issues around changing my wardrobe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've gotten to the point where I've repeated so many of them that it doesn't really feel like I'm not excited about them anymore. So I'm kind of going through a re- a revamp, but okay. <laughs> which, but that's also fun because I get to dig into like how I've evolved and a few things that I want to change and what are more like, I feel like my style is actually becoming more classic and timeless. Um, and so it, it's exciting for me, even though it, it's kind of, I don't know, maybe I'm just going through an identity crisis, but <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Happens every once in a while. Sure does. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I feel like I actually have a relationship with my closet and with my clothes, and it it, it brings some fun into it instead of you know dreading dreading my closet like I used to do. So yeah, and then when that feels like that feeling just makes me naturally want to do that in other areas of my life. So like we started the conversation, like having it be a gateway into how the rest of your life could feel, which is really great. Definitely. We're always changing and growing and hopefully for the better. Mm -hmm. So speaking of where our clothes come from and purchasing and, and investment, you do talk a lot about your financial situation and being debt-free. And I just wanted to touch on that because I feel like it's such an important topic that a lot of people are afraid to talk about. 
Um, <laughs> but we all have our relationships with money and our wherever we're at. So um, for you, uh, getting debt-free and decluttering kind of went hand in hand. So could you talk more about that aspect of simplifying? As I was de-stressing my life, you know, I was eliminating one stressful thing at a time and debt was at the top of the list. I mean, I had been in debt for most of my adult life and for a long time, I thought I would always be in debt. I, I didn't really consider the alternative because I was that deep in like tens of thousands of dollars. And if you count the house that I had, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it didn't really feel like it was you know, something that was achievable, becoming debt-free, but it was. And I started listening to uh, Dave Ramsey, the financial guy who helps most people get out of debt. Mm -hmm. And when I heard other people sharing their stories and how much they were paying off and how quickly, I thought, wow, if they can do it, maybe I can do it too. And so my husband and I decided to become debt-free. And it, it, of course, radically changed our spending habits in the beginning, which meant that less clutter was coming in. But it also gave me a little bit of time to see what kind of stress my stuff was bringing to me, where before I thought it was just stuff. But when I started looking at it, I was like, oh, wow, I don't even own that. I still owe money on that thing. And it was always this reminder of my debt, which was very stressful. So as we got rid of the debt, we started becoming more inspired and encouraged to get rid of our stuff as well. So yeah, Dave Ramsey actually came up on my last podcast interview with um, Jessica Williams from The Minimalist as yeah. well. <laughs> so they were just over there. So yeah, I love I love Dave Ramsey. He's my like kick in the pants guy. Like when I need a kick in the pants about money. I'll listen to a lot of Dave Ramsey. And I love um, that he uh, he doesn't really focus on the math around money, mm -hmm. which used to always, I, I just got so lost in it when I would listen to financial experts talk about interest rates and the math. What Dave Ramsey talks about is the behavior. And that's what I needed to change. I really needed to change my behavior around money. And listening to him and the common sense of it all it, it really resonated with me. In regards to Project 333 and clothing, because that can be a huge ticket item for a lot of people and probably where most of people's paychecks can go. Um, does a capsule wardrobe help decrease that? Or like, was that a key player in getting out of debt? Certainly dressing with less has helped me spend less money because I only shop uh, for clothes or for things for my closet at the, at the most quarterly. So when I get ready to switch over my, my seasonal collection, I'll look and see if there's anything that I need uh, or want to switch out. Sometimes the answer is no, and I don't shop at all where prior to that, I probably shopped every weekend or once a week or something like that in an effort to, um, you know, just for a little lift to feel better about something or because I thought something would really change my life in some way, especially with clothes and stuff that goes in the closet. So 
certainly it helped and, and contributed to that, um, paying off the debt process, but mm-hmm. it was b- way bigger than that. I mean, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars. So we had to make a lot of other changes <laughs> as well. Right. And yeah. for a long time, it was about, I used to think, oh, I have to make more to do that. But I realized there were just so many edits we could make in our spending as it was that we could cut uh, at least temporarily to get that debt handled. Was that a scary thing to start on? A little bit. Yeah. Because that meant we had to talk about money as a (laughs) a couple. And I I was afraid of that. You know, I didn't want to have any more stress around things, which money, you know, in my life had always been stressful. And in prior relationships, it was, you know, very contentious. And I had made a point of kind of avoiding it by not talking about it, which I don't recommend that, but it was (laughs) the path that I took. And so when we decided together to become debt-free, we had to really start talking about how we handled money, what our money, uh, kind of goals were moving forward. And we still do that now. I mean, that it really opened up that door for conversation. And so now, even though we, we kind of talk about it on a regular basis, we do these very more formal uh, events where my husband and I get together. I call them simplicity summits. And we review, so whether it's quarterly or twice a year or once a month, however, how ever frequently you want to do it. It's just a time where we can come together and talk about whatever we want around money, health, um, relationship, future, whatever it is that the kind of things that you might not want to talk about after working all day or Mm -hmm. on date night or over the weekend. And it's Mm -hmm. great. And it really helps us align where we are today versus where we were you know, five years ago, things have changed. We have to get together and talk about it and see where we are now. You know, what expenses do we have today? What things do we want to invest in moving forward? Uh, Now we look forward to having those conversations instead of dreading them. Yeah, I think my husband and I have finally started to shift into positive money conversations. Um, Like, I think our last one, we gave each other a high five afterwards. So that was, <laughs> that was and most of our high five was like, we didn't fight high five, <laughs> but it's like, it is so tricky, but I, I do think it takes practice. The more you do it, um, the less emotional it can become. Uh, and yeah, just more routine. I think having it be a normal thing and, and letting yourself be vulnerable in that topic, I think as well. Um, but yeah, that's pretty great. I like that idea of having a summit, like, cause a lot of times these hard conversations happen, like when we're going to bed and that's just like a recipe for disaster, I think. Yeah. <laughs> to, or you, you bring it up if you're mad about something else right? Just to really drive mm-hmm. home the point that you're not happy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But like that intentional time, um, I think is really is really wise. Um, I'll have to give that a whirl. <laughs> Bring water and snacks. Water and snacks. <laughs> yeah. 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 Comfort. 
foods maybe we have a dog a golden doodle and i that's right yeah well you have access to a golden you're like a golden doodle grandma i I am (laughs) yeah um but she actually makes our hard conversation so much easier because when you have this soft fluffy thing that's all love in between you it's really hard to stay mad so i can imagine um that's a good tool (laughs) that i recommend for sure um Cool. Well, there's so many other things I wanted to chat with you about, um, but there's a lot of resources people can um, access with all this good stuff in it. So we've talked about your book a lot, Soulful Simplicity, which I highly recommend. And you're in the process of writing another one, right? Can we talk? Yeah, I'm writing a book about Project 333. Perfect. Can't wait. That'll be great. Um, And then you on your website you have a ton of resources some online courses um you've been doing instagram lives which have been really awesome um thank you those are mondays correct i do those most mondays at 5 p.m eastern so whatever time it is in new york city at five where Mm -hmm. you live that's typically when i do them um, not every Monday, but most Mondays. And I try to publish a, a schedule on my website. So typically, if you look at the last post, there'll be a schedule, although not mm-hmm. right now. <laughs> yeah. And and I love those too, because you're really accessible. So you give an opportunity for people to ask questions on Instagram. And so, um, so yeah, following Be More With Less, I believe is what it is your Instagram handle. And I'll have links to all this stuff in the show notes, but, um, but that's, I think your Instagram has been a really cool hub for really great nuggets of information. It's my favorite social media platform. Yeah. Um, I really just don't love hanging out anywhere else in terms of social media, but once a week on Instagram, I think it's really fun to connect with everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I do recommend going to your post about how you manage your iPhone because I think that's life-changing. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'll leave that as a cliffhanger for people to get them (laughs) over there. Um, And then the last thing I wanted to mention was your your course you have coming out, A Simple Year uh, that you collaborate with a bunch of really great people on, um, where you get every month you have like a theme and you get to work through it with some experts in the field. Do you want to give a little rundown of that quick? Yes. So this is actually going to be our last year of a simple year and 2019 is going to have 12 different contributors. Uh, actually, 14 because a couple of months we have two at once Mm. and each month like you said is a different topic so anything from clutter to busyness to food self-care gratitude uh, we we run the gamut in terms of topics and I built it kind of based on the changes that I made you know one at a time having uh, that time to focus on that one thing and then at the end of the year, we put together all of the content and give it to our uh, members so that they can revisit it anytime they want. Mm, That's awesome. Yeah. And you've got some of my favorite people on here. You have Josh and Ryan and Colin, right? Who 
is also an old buddy of mine. He's so great. I just love listening to him talk about everything. Um, And the the contributors are some of my favorite people too, and and good friends, which is why I love it even more. And I think it's a really great investment for, for what you're getting. So there'll be a link to that on the website and early registration starts October 15th, I believe. Yes. Okay, cool. Well, anything else you want to chat about or what's coming up for you or any other inspiration? Wow, I feel like we covered a lot today. So (laughs) yeah, I'm good. I'm just very grateful for your time. Thanks for asking such thoughtful questions. Well, thank you for coming on. It's always, I was actually talking to one of my clients today about interviewing you and I'm like, I think I just have the podcast. So I get it's like selfish reasons. <laughs> I just get to talk to really great people and what I want to say. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, no, it's been a pleasure and I hope we get to meet up again next time. Yes. I want to come to Fargo. So it, yeah. it will happen. It will happen. So people in Fargo look out, Courtney's coming, but maybe you want to come in the summertime. Okay. Duly noted. I feel like if people want to come to Fargo in the winter, it's like its own like adventure and like cultural experience. Like if you really want to feel like you're in the TV show or the movie Fargo, like come in the winter and like have the badge of honor, but (laughs) I'll see you in the summer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I don't usually recommend it, but, um, but we make you feel good, I guess. My home has a fireplace. So that really helps. I guess. Of course. (laughs) But but yes, cool. Well, I look forward to seeing you and, um, and thank you for coming on. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. I will bring everyone to Fargo. This is my goal and you're invited too. But in the meantime, we all get to hang out on the airwaves and on the interwebs and we can hang out with Courtney and friends via the simple year program. Like we said, it's going to be a really helpful tool and support you for the year of 2019 to make it the most intentional and simple year yet. And I believe in this program so much that I'm honored to be a part of promoting it and bringing it to the world. And I don't do affiliates or sponsors or anything, but this program is just so in alignment with everything I'm about that I can't really help myself. So I would love to help you one-on-one with your journey. If you sign up through my website, you'll get my month-long one-on-one self-care mentoring program, plus my simple desk care online course, which teaches you the best self-care techniques for being happy and healthy and pain-free while sitting at your desk or working on your laptop. It's a good time. So get those bonuses for free, which is around a $350 value. So head over to naturallyrandyk.com slash a simple year. That's naturally R-A-N-D-I-K-A-Y.com slash a simple year for more details and for the special link to sign up. There will also be links to this episode's show notes there as well. Alrighty, there you have it. And FYI, the next podcast won't be coming out for the next two weeks because I will be on quite the adventure. I've been saving my pennies to do an advanced yoga training with yoga medicine in Peru. And the time has finally come. So I want to be fully present while I'm there. So I'm not going to be trying to upload and post podcast episodes. So please join me back here in a few weeks to hear all about it. 
and you can follow what I may perhaps be posting on my Instagram at naturallyrandyk. And I'm going to try this whole pre-scheduled email thing, so I'll be sending out my weekly email with some fun things. So make sure you are on that list. Sign up at naturallyrandyk.com. I'll see you in a few weeks as the self-care conversation continues. But until then, take good care and enjoy the journey.